0: looking for a way to make quick cash making cash with doordash is super easy guys i love driving around my town and now i can do that and get paid not to mention the sign up process was so easy download the doordash driver app today to get started born in
1: trouble
2: in and out the frame, out hey,
1: the hey, I'm hey, the welcome insane. to the special Tuesday talk being recorded on a Wednesday afternoon I'm your host, John X And this is, of course, take two Because I am your host, John X And sooner or later, we're going to have to get me an engineer in here so we can get something like worked out But today we have a great guest for, for everyone Someone I've been looking forward to i interviewing for quite a long time one of my old friends, compatriots, Mister, the Honorable—I can't even say Mister, the Honorable Judge Alonzo G. Jacobs.
2: Hello, everyone, and um, um, John, thank you for um having me on. It's my it's my um, pleasure, it's my honor um for you to invite me. I always knew you from way back when. You actually, you were an athletic basketball player we played him for the same high school team but i was a couple of years older than you i was graduating 84 you graduated when
1: 87
2: 87 i always kept an eye on you. you were an outstanding player you didn't know me but i know you i knew you i mean when people are good i like to keep my eye on them and watch them but the funny part is we if you remember we really connected you and i you were in, attending howard university hu yes HU. i was interning and i was interning down in dc um, I was interning there with the National Mental Health Association, and we were both trying to get inside. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a, a building, a club, it was something. It was, it was a huge party. It, it was, was cold outside. It was
1: It was a party. It was a party. It was a party. And
2: it was, it was cold outside. Everybody was standing out. And we and John, because John is uh, 6'3, I'm 6'3. And we looked across the crowd, and I looked and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> That's John exited from Bremen, and John looked at me. And then we hooked up every since then. We were, I was about. I was about twenty-two then, and John, you, you about, were a couple of years.
1: I was about you nineteen. Was an undergrad.
2: Yep, undergrad. You undergrad. Yeah, I was about nineteen, but you were a freshman at Howard. We looked at. We was trying to get in that party. Like ain't no party like an HU party. No doubt. No. Because an HU party, that H-U party stop. never stops. There no you go. Doubt. believe
1: it. Well, eventually it did stop, unfortunately, but you know we still try to keep <laughs> it going in our own lives wherever we can, wherever we can find that type of thing. But yeah. I, that was like that was when we first connected, but you say I wasn't aware of you. Of course I was aware of you, Alonzo. You were the White, White Letter Award winner. I watched you play ball for Brentwood for um, probably a team that was less talented than a lot of the teams that came before you, and you were killing them. You were killing them, and I was like, you gave me inspiration to go to the park and work a little bit harder because you were killing them. And everything, and I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to, I wanted to have the crowd cheering for me and lead out and lead our school. I was always aware of you, Alonzo, and I've always been proud of you. And as I've seen you go up step by step by step by step, I've been even more proud. And this to me is like an opportunity, as I said before in the first take, to give you your flowers, bro, because you well, deserve it.
2: I, I, I really appreciate it. There's something I have to say about that, and it goes along with my step up. But I know you have another guest on your show, which you have to talk about and introduce. So I'll wait and I'll I'll comment on what you just said. Oh, it's just Rob. Mr. Robert Brooks from Philadelphia.
0: They know me. They know you. I'm here all the time, except, you know, when I'm not.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: About pulling contracts for the man. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: that's you our know. joke <laughs> every, 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 they, every, you know when i'm out working you know hustling they you know they like to have some fun while i'm not around they think that i don't listen when i'm not here so <laughs> they, think, they, think they, could, they could just accumulate wisecracks and they're, not, they're gonna go unnoticed but i'm counting
1: well, i can tell you one thing man we we always appreciate you i know you listen because you did you're the only one who actually has any type of experience in this whole radio broadcasting area and you're you're my go-to guy more than even when I even when you're not on the show I still speak to you about the show and I appreciate your help that's one of the things about you know both of you brothers and everything I've relied on both of you at different points of time for different types of advice and everything so this is like really a a great show for me to actually have especially Alonzo from where you come you come from the same place as us maybe even a little bit uh, different, a little bit harder. And here you are, you're one of, how many judges are there, black judges are there in the history of Suffolk County?
2: Well, um, in Suffolk County, at all times, there's approximately 177 judges at all times. Now, five years prior to now, maybe 10 10 years ago, it was 160. But in the history of Suffolk County, there's only been approximately 10 black judges overall, mm-hmm. but five black males overall in the whole history. You got 177 at all times. Now, think about this. There's only three of us on the bench now because two of them retired 20 years ago. Um, judge Peter Newman, a district court judge, and Marquette Floyd, who was a Supreme Court judge of the state of New York. But get this. He just died in December, about December 31st of 2000. Twenty. Think about this. He was ninety-three years old, and Peter Newman is not much younger than ninety. So we had them. There was a twenty-year gap. Now there's only three of us: myself, the Supreme Court Judge William Ford. He's about sixty-five. He's sixty-five, and we have um, Supreme Court Justice who has an extension. He's um, seventy. I believe he's seventy years seventy years old, or sixty-nine. That's um, my good friend. Derek Ford, who just got to the Supreme Court, is a district court judge like myself before. But the thing about it is, at 70 in New York State, you suppose you have to retire as a judge unless you put him for an extension. You can go into 76. Every two years, you got to apply for an extension, mm. a waiver to go on two years. So I'm the youngest of the three Black judges, and we have four um, women Black judges on the bench. So there's seven of us out of 177 judges. Wow. And um, one's district court, one is a woman of the woman a district, one is family court, and one is, and two is supreme court. So that's it. There's three of us. So we're unicorns out here. Mm. But but it's okay, you know. And it's not okay. It's bittersweet. But let me just point out something to you. When we when um, you know, yourself and Ray Hines, and I have people saying, um, hey, they looked up to me because I was a ball player and I ran the streets. I was a ball player. But here goes the funny part about it. Because I, I, you know, I didn't have a father. I had my grandfather who was, um, I grew up in my grandparents' house. My mother was a single mother. She grew up, she was like my sister, but she was my mother. I loved her to death. She died this January. I took care of her until today she died. with Parkinson's, which was this January. But here was a funny part about it. Nobody knew this. Two things. Because I didn't have any older brothers, anybody playing. I practiced by myself at the park. I brought the ball down, practiced on my, by myself. Our park in our neighborhood where we had some bad boys coming out of the park and basketball, football, handball, everything. Mm -hmm. They shut our park down on Long Island, Suffolk County. And this was in the 70s. They shut our park down because they said it was too violent and too many drugs in our neighborhood. My thing is now when I got a little bit older, I said, if you can keep a park open in, in, in Brooklyn, or the mm-hmm. South Bronx somewhere. You can't keep a park open in Little Suffolk County mm-hmm. in Brentwood back then. Mm-hmm. So yes. when they closed the park down, most people were selling drugs and hanging out on the corner because there was nothing else to do unless we came to your side of town and played at Timberline Park or we went up to the Brentwood Rec where everybody from Brentwood, Central Islip, and North Bay Shore, where you have a noticeable number of Blacks and Hispanics because, you know, um, it, was, you know it was a regular, racially segregated township. So we were kept there, so there was nothing to do. You played at the rec- and you played, um, um, you went over to Timberline on the other side of town, if you can get over there. Um, but mm-hmm. with, with that said, I'm going to tell you, I never knew, I didn't play, because I didn't have older brothers. I knew how to run the streets and fight and everything like that, because <laughs> I came from a a tough household where people in my house, my uncle, one was in Robin banks. He was in federal prison. He wasn't afraid. He was super fly. The guy was, his car, his hat, his everything, his long leather jacket. <laughs> I wanted to be like him. This cat was a straight up killer. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Then I had a couple of other uncles. One was in at Attica State Prison when they had the riots. Two of them went in there, in fact, and they died young, but they um three of them grew up in the same house as me. And I learned the game, the killer game, the drug game, everything, all the games. But the athletic game, and I knew how to fight, but the athletic game, when I played on the team, even though I was the MVP, people didn't know. I didn't know one single player was just running around on athletic ability because mm. I was a super athlete, a first athlete in a junior high school to letter in four sports: football, basketball, wrestling, lacrosse. Mm. In fact, the wrestling coach on it, Redwood High School, now the coach on the team. In his defense, he was in seventh grade, but I was the MVP and captain of that team. I was the one that started out. Wrestling was my number one sport since I was six years old. Mm. But then became the basketball. When you get to, as you know, you get to JV, basketball and wrestling in the same season. So I had a choice. Back then, I was thinking, me, as one of the few black guys in the wrestling team, and none of my boys in the stand, Mm -hmm. and I'm sucking weight to go one-on-one with this other guy, running the fields and running everything and working out. Mm -hmm. Or I can go out there with all my brothers and sisters, and they in the stands in the basketball court. I come down and dunk on somebody. They're calling your name. And be That's a right. showball, which one would you choose? All the only pretty lazy up in the stands in That's basketball. Right. That's right. Which one would you choose? So I know I which them, one I chose. <laughs> even though it's in your yeah. heart still. But my point is, yeah. I didn't know one play, and I didn't play. And I'm going to tell you this I didn't play basketball in high school because I had no older brothers, nobody came to the games and watch me when we had people like Chuck Everson who played at Villanova when they won the national championship, Mm -hmm. Um, he was on the varsity then, but he won the Villanova after that. When they won, they won in 85. I graduated in 84. He was two years old. But he had two seven foot brothers. One Mm -hmm. actually went, attended Lafayette. Mm -hmm. He was two years younger than me, but he was our starting center, Steve. then Chuck, um, um, no, that was um, Tommy. Tommy. Tommy Then we have one a year older than me. That was Steve. He was our starting center. And then he graduated. My point being they had parents they're pushing them on the sidelines, supporting them. Mm-hmm. I had nobody. So I was kind of, I was so insecure. I didn't play to win. I didn't play to win. I knew no plays. I was. I didn't know I wasn't a student in the game. Mm-hmm. I played not to lose. Mm-hmm. I didn't play to win. I played not to lose. But I can guarantee you, and I want to say all to my, all my Brentwood people, I always want to say I'm sorry because you mm-hmm. came to see a show and you thought you saw a show. But what you had was an insecure person that didn't have. People thought I was tough in school and people thought this. You had an insecure person that didn't have nobody telling them that you can do it, that you have the power, you have the, you have the credentials, you have the skills. But guess what? God is good because right now in life, when I'm doing civil rights or I'm doing practice in law, whatever I'm doing, I'm fundamentally sound now. I'm trying to take you mm. out. OK, if you step in my arena, mm. whenever you step in my arena, because now I know the game. And what I do now is I, I spoke yesterday at a drug program. Or wherever I go, I'm always. My friends call me like John. You call me the friend of the drug program. You wanted you to be the speaker. They know I'm coming. And <laughs> mm-hmm. somebody step in the arena. I'm trying to take you out now because now the light is on. I know who I am. I know I'm God's child. whose I am? I read a phenomenal amount of books, so I don't need nobody to tell me how good I am. If you want to know what my mentality looks like, I just give you a glimpse of it. And I don't like to talk politics. But you know that um how Donald Trump loves himself, mm-hmm. he just loves Donald Trump. Let's say that I support him a Guess what? I love me some Alonzo. Mm. You put my name just like he's talking about him, I pump myself up and I and I believe in myself so much. So when I'm talking to kids, I'm talking to anybody, wherever I go to fight, you know you're gonna bring a champion in the ring. I'm gonna put it put it all on the line. That's so that's great. what I'm so what I'm gonna leave it by saying to Mr. Brooks, who I just met, I appreciate you, brother. You went to Brentwood. I see that um, you're in the field of communications. I spoke to you briefly. I can tell you competent, and I appreciate what you're doing also. I just want you to know that. I have a good – I got that gift of discernment, and I can see that you're competent, I, I I appreciate
0: um, competent people. So just want to let you know that. Well, thank you. But let, let, let's kick this off with this. So what was it that got you from uh, insecure, not believing – Looking up to the hustlers to squaring up with your academics and getting into this other path. Like, how do, without the, without, you said you grew up without a father, your uncles were pretty much pointing you in the wrong direction. How is it that you were able to get to steer yourself in the right direction? Like, what got, what helped you, what helped steer you in the right direction?
2: Yeah. Well, one, one of the things are, uh, I, I read books. I read books that take me out of my reality because when I was home, I knew that they were going to say, Hey, we got to go kick this door down. There's a little youngster. We got to put this work in. You know what I mean? They were old and they were my heroes. If you didn't do it. You was a punk. You got to get beat up. Mm. You didn't do it. Like we got to go do such and such, you know? And I, although I had a good heart, my heart was there and everybody knew it in school. When I went to them streets, I knew it was on. So I stayed in school as much as I could because the coaches I have a lot of respect for the coaches and refs. You know, we took it for granted back then. Um, we took it for granted that you had to have a game, a high school game, or you had to be this lacrosse. I was on a lacrosse team, one of the few blacks on a lacrosse team, um, only two of us. And the coaches were just honest to me and they were nice to me. And that was the only place I can get in the classroom, and the coaches with the teachers. So I stayed in school as much as I could at after school programs, played four sports, three sports in high school, triple letter triple athlete. like. John said, and then when I was home, I would go in the corner until it was time to put work in. I would read a book because a book would take me anywhere in the world. It would take me out of my reality. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I would read the um Donald nice. Goins. You know what I mean? Kenyatta. You know the black hero that would go through and help people out of the neighborhood. or I would read the Adventures of what's his name? I mean, it was some white guy that was back then. I didn't know it was in Africa doing whatever he was doing. I forget what his name was but I used to just read books to just to keep me, get me out of my reality instead of use drugs or read books. So then, so that was the thing. Then I started meeting these kids. When I go away to college, I'm reading these kids from the city. I'm reading these city kids and they like my Hey man, we man, you're a wild cat. You know what I mean? Like you get it in, come and join us. Right. We like the way like you rock. You might be a country bunk and farmer type of cat, but you know what? You're a real dude. You know what I'm saying? You get it in anywhere. So they brace you and they pull you in and they start telling you this stuff, these ideas they have. There's a lot of diversity in his confidence, and we didn't have we didn't have black elected officials um, back then in Suffolk County. Um, we didn't have any. We had now we have the um, 15th legislature. It was a lawsuit to get a legislative black legislative district. We just got that a number of years ago, but just this year in the town of Islip, where I live, there's about 16 hamlets, but three of them, Brentwood, North Bayshore, and CI have a noticeable number of Blacks. So we didn't have those Black elected officials, like if you go to Harlem or you go to Philly somewhere, you know what I'm saying? Yes. We didn't have that. No, we didn't have that to look up to. So, like Jesus Christ said on the cross, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they didn't do. How do you know what you don't know if you haven't been exposed to it? So I just stayed in school all the time. So to answer your question, and these other Blacks that were coming from the city and out of state, and they knew their Black history, and they knew who they were, and they knew that they had Adam Clayton Powell or, or um, Percy Sutton, of Ford, Charlie Rangel and them. They knew who these people were and they brought that to me. And once I heard, you know what? And then I watched, they say there's art imitate life or life imitate art. you watching movies like The Godfather where you can see, what's his name? Michael, what's his name? Michael Corleone. Yeah. You see where he took, you know, there's a lot of lessons we've learned from that movie, a lot mm. of movies. You can see where he took an illegit- illegitimate, illegitimate family. He was a college student. He dropped out to run the family. Mm -hmm. You know what? He flipped it. And I said, you know what? I can flip things like that Mm -hmm. and legitimize it instead of running the street like a gangster or a thug because you mentioned earlier, uh, Mr. Brooks, while we're talking, you don't see gangsters living long. If you see them living long, they look worn out and tired. I feel like I'm just getting started.
1: There you go. You know, to go back to the reality of the closing of Regis Park back in the 70s, we, you know... If we ever crossed paths back then, it was because, you know, we come from, I lived in East Brentwood. And where I lived, there weren't, any black, there weren't any black kids in my neighborhood, you know, up and down. You know, I'm talking about riding my bike up and down the street and a kid jumping out, big Italian kid jumping out. He's like three years older than me saying, oh, my brother's not here right now. So I'm going to jump you right now when I'm in fourth grade. So I had yep. to fight these guys. So it's like my fights were different. I was like throwing hands with a lot of with a lot of like um criminal white boys that were a little bit older than me. But we used to go over to Regis Park because my mother had a friend that lived over there on Somerset Street, Somerville. And I remember that park. I remember how vibrant it was. I remember as being a little kid, and we're talking about like seven years old because it wasn't open for much longer after that. Going down there and seeing the handball courts and seeing the games and seeing the culture and everything that was going on. And that was something that my mother exposed me to because I wasn't getting that on my side. So much so that people like when I got older, they would say, aren't you from Regis Park? I'd be like, nah. And they wouldn't be able to remember. But I was a little kid that was walking up and down those streets, visiting but what you said about the municipalities and us not having the representation, that's what happens when you don't have the representation in your municipality. Your parks get closed. And then you're forced to go out and travel and become extraordinary. And you and I had to, like, talk about this yesterday. You know, a lot of your hardships are what made you what you are today. Would you agree to, with that to a certain extent? One
2: 100%, because... um. Um, you know, I was, you know, I was married. I was divorced. Went through that. I ended up getting custody of my daughter, which I always believed that a kid belonged in the custody, residential custody of their mother, because there's something about a kid that's not with their mother. But unfortunately, my ex-wife decided to move to Georgia when, before my brought my daughter between fifth and sixth grade was separated, and I fought that battle because I wasn't let my little girl go for restraining mm-hmm. orders and everything, and I was a struggling lawyer then. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Me and my daughter struggled through um, that battle. We struggled through that battle, and um, we were getting evicted. I was getting evicted. We had no heats, no lights. And I was a lawyer. People didn't know that, but God puts people in your path. There was a one judge that said, Mr. Jacobs, why are you skipping court, eviction court? I'm like, why should I go to court? What, am I going to work out a deal with no money in my pocket? I just didn't show up. in embarrassment. <laughs> <Yeah. it. Right. laughs> Catch up with me. Right. So we're throwing it further behind because I would hit you with a $500 legal fee to other lawyer which I felt wasn't cool, but it was what it was. I'm trying to fight and struggle, but the judge says, okay, I understand Mr. Jacobs. And then the case will get adjourned a little further and give me more time and I will catch up. But I was 500 more a month with legal fees under default judgments. But those things did make me stronger. So I had a cousin recently. um, This is one of the things I had a kid that failed out of school, a basketball player that failed out another case where they said, well, this is, these are the obstacles. I'm saying, Listen, they ain't obstacles obstacle to me. I'll fight this war with one hand behind my back because I've been through worse wars. You know what mm. I'm saying? I've been through so many wars. What people see as wars, I said, wait a minute. I'll smile real quick. Watch what I do to this cat. You know what I'm saying? Wherever it is. Where we right. These the streets or whatever. Oh, this is a tough guy? Then you put on that crazy, you know, okay, watch what I do to this cat real quick. Then you reach over like the godfather. You just whisper something to him. I'm mm. so-and-so and such-and-such. And next thing you know, I'll tell you, man, <laughs> When you can communicate, it's a very powerful thing. You tell a cat, you know, you explain to him logically what can happen, what are the consequences, mm. or whatever. People reconsider their position. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So with that said, um, I fought so many wars. You're right with the obstacles, dark divorces, and people stepping out and cheating on you. And by the way, we had a side of town in Brentwood back then. Now, Brentwood has the second largest Hispanic population in New York State. That's number one. Mm. Okay? Number two, okay, right now. And number two, I want to point this out. We have the second largest populated high school in New York State. Remember where we come from. Mm-hmm. Number three, we have gang problems. We've seen that nationally. It reminds me of, think about this. You want to think about this. This is this is Brentwood. We have, back in the 80s, when they had the crack problem, you remember what um, Supreme Team and Fat Cat and all them? And then you you had up in Harlem in the late 70s, you had... Um, well aside from Pepe Mason and Preemin, all of them in, right. in there in um in the South Jamaica. But in Harlem, you had um what's his name, the drug dealer? K- in the Kevin
0: Childs yeah. and uh um
2: what is his name? Um Mr. Mr. What's it called? Um uh, Mr. What's his name? I forget. Lance but, Furtado. and No, no, they um not Frank White. It was um I forget whatever his name was. Okay. I guess he probably worked for Bumpy Johnson for a while. Oh,
0: oh, 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 the 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 heroin dealer in the early seventies. Yeah. 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 Well, let me
2: point this out to you. Think about this. In the 80s, Reagan, they killed a cop in 1986. I forget what his name was, an Irish cop. They killed him. He was watching somebody. He was, he was um, defending a witness in a drug case, a murder case. He was defending him. Um, they killed him. So you had the President Reagan and everybody coming to South Jamaica, and that's when they had the war on drugs and the crack and all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Now, think about this. Think about this really. That was South Jamaica. Just a few years ago, with um, number 45, the president, mm-hmm. when the president, the governor, the U.S. attorney, <laughs> <laughs> come to your town, the president, the governor, U.S. attorney come yeah. to your town, Brentwood, right yes. New York, yes. and say, you have a gang problem, mm-hmm. okay? You have a problem in that town. It's real. Mm-hmm. It was yes. just like they did in the 80s over there. You have a problem. It's in a situation that got so bad that... Me and X um, may be known guys and athletes, but you couldn't walk around. You still can, in my opinion. You can't really walk down certain places in Brentwood and CI at nighttime mm-hmm. in North Bay Shore. I wouldn't walk around at night. I'm a known guy. Mm-hmm. I am a known to my, guy, but we're, we're not stupid, though.
0: I went to my my uncle's funeral. This would have been like at the end of 15. And so, you know, he's buried out in military funerals. So he's buried out in Calvertton. So now we're going to go back for the repass. At my cousin's house, and my, my younger cousin was like, Yo, I'll jump in the car with him because they don't know him. Mm-hmm. So, li- literally, they were like, Yo, yeah, well, somebody's got to ride in the car with Robert because they don't know him. Like, once they yeah. know you're Brooks, you'll be fine, but they don't know you. So, we're going we to ride in the car with you. So, so there's cool. Like, ain't nobody going to fuck with me. Like, I'm just driving in. Like, who's going to, they're like, No, nah, don't worry about it. Just, mm-hmm. Let's just yeah, go. Yeah,
2: sometimes they ca- they'll catch up with you for no reason. And it's like, it's, no, it's not like you're not. It's not about, see, what, we lose a lot of lives. It's not about toughness. It's not about being a tough, it's about being smart. You know what I mean? Because some people, a 13-year-old with a 22 in their hand, how old is he when he got his hand on that trigger? A 13-year-old with a 38 in their hand. Old enough. You get a lot mm-hmm. of baby face killers out there. And I see them before me as a judge. And I see them. I do. I did, I mean, I, I ran murder cases. And guess what? I'm a former New York State parole officer. Okay. I had South Jamaica. It was my area. Okay. (laughs) The 103. I had that. I had Spanish Harlem up in Harlem. Um, that was my area. Okay. I had I had um Red Hook in Brooklyn, the Gowana Houses, the Farragut houses, they were my areas. I did Rikers Island for three and a half years, and I was assigned to the state corrections, the work release, Lincoln Correctional Facility up in Harlem and the whole Long Island. So I dealt with all kinds of people on parole. That means you've been you've been to state prison you were felon. I had murderers. Okay. I had murderers. I had major drug dealers. I had mafioso, you know? (laughs) So, you know, God exposed me to that to enable me to um, God exposed me to that. I had my gun, my best, my vest, my badge. And I had an incident where I had to draw my weapon at one point up in the um, public housing, up in Harlem, where right after 9-11, a guy was robbing people. He came at me and my partner with a gun, Hmm. but I certainly didn't have to shoot him because I saw once I stood my ground and I, look, I came from this. I looked at him and pulled my gun. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) what are we going to do here? Please don't move. We're going to blaze this up. Then it came down to, he dropped his weapon. It came down to the knuckle game. Now we out there throwing down, but guess what? I told you I wrestled and everything like that. But I had to, you know, but unfortunately, as a black cop, a black law enforcement, peace officer undercover, I had to make sure that when when I called the 1013 on my radio, which says gun, I had to make sure I had this guy in handcuffs. You're not going to shoot me in the back and think right. I'm a too. I mean, that's Believe a consideration it. you have as a black cop. Right. I had to think when I call his 1013, they see me on the ground with this cat. I got to have my badge high up in the air and say, no, I'm right. not the perp because I'm not going to be hit. Right. And actually, you know, it just goes like that. So that's one of the considerations, unfortunately, you had to have as a law enforcement officer when you were a law enforcement officer of
0: color. Well, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's it's one of the things that I have always found weird about the upbringing in that area. So I grew up in CI first, up until through sixth grade, and right on the edge of the new D. So yep, sure. everybody who lives to the left of us is black, and they all live in relatively new houses. There was yep. this family who lived at an angle from us, and I remember they were one of the three white families in the area, And one of their people was coming back from jail and they had a big party about it. And it was about as hillbilly as can be. And they had a big sign up that said, welcome home, W-E-L-L-C-O-M-E, home, (laughs) Um, which my dad made sure he pointed out and said, you know, education. Uh, There's a reason why he's coming back from jail. But that and and so there were them. And then I moved to Noble Street and we had um, a drug dealer on Noble Street who at the time that I moved in was doing time and he came home a couple of years later, but all the dudes that I knew in, you know, in my early years, all the dudes I knew who were doing crime and especially for drugs were white guys. Yeah. Uh And then a couple of years later, it became that it was this black thing that the black people were poisoning the neighborhoods and whatever. But like I said, in the early days, all the guys I knew who were in drugs were white. Mm. I always found it bizarre that one day, all of a sudden, all the drug dealers were black.
2: Your experience yeah, in my experience. You know, in the late 60s, I imagine, okay, with the new D over there, right? Because mm-hmm. the Black people from Suffolk County, right, in central Islip, were living in Colton Park, another neighborhood that they those they down, okay? Mm-hmm. Because the town council is not on our side of town, okay? The town council is over in Islip. There's 14 hamlets, or at least, at least 14 or 16 hamlets, maybe, in the town of Islip, the township. But we only have a noticeable number, like I said, of blacks and um, and a number of um, Hispanics is so large. I mean, they about 80 percent of this that Brentwood High School when I was there was probably 50, 25 percent Hispanic, 25 percent black and 50 percent white. But now it's 80 percent Hispanic, the Brentwood School District. Okay, they have a 400, about a 450 million dollar budget and they control twenty five hundred (laughs) jobs. So it's it's a mammoth. But my point being in a new development. Right, right now, I would say probably the late 60s, early 70s, that's when Blacks moved out from the New York City. So, a lot of Blacks in that area, were what we call them, two parent households. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Colton Park was just raggedy. You know what I'm saying? Right. That was a hood, just like Regis Park. Right. It was raggedy. But when you went to the new development, they had two parent Most of those people, and I love it over there. I have a lot of people over there that supported me in every election I did. I got people over there, their parents over there, the older. They're like parents to me. And um. but the thing is, when they came out, they they had that representation. They came probably maybe to, their parents might have came up through the Great Migration. And then they moved into the city, the major cities. Now some of them came out to the suburbs. So they were familiar with civil rights, the parents. You now they're old and they're in their 80s now. You know what I mean? Some of them in their 90s or whatever. They, were, they joined the churches. They went to civil rights. they seen black elected officials. Because if you're original from Suffolk County, like my family from here for over six generations, it's a bunch of, and the further east you go out, nice. okay? There's no progressive unless you go out into it. It's a different game in Sag Harbor and stuff, but out in one of the five western towns, but that was one of the neighborhoods where you get these progressive Black people, that um, civil service-minded Black people that might have worked for the post office, the city of New York, and things like that. But their kids, a lot of the kids, if they didn't go do something professional, Okay, if they didn't do something professional, unfortunately, they got in the drug game and they got walled. A lot of them kids got walled, but they had great parents and families where on our side of town was a lot of raggediness, the single family households. I'm not saying everybody, but you grew up, it was the park. You stayed at Regis Park and you stayed at Colton Park. And a lot of times, a lot of young girls and boys, I would tell them, do not get caught up in the glamour. Okay, do not get caught up in the glamour of the bad boys over here. Don't get caught up in the grammar of the or the dudes following other dudes or girls because you know what? Your life will get sidetracked. You will get ruined. And a lot of people got ruined going into neighborhoods that they should not get going to. Just like my daughter now, I segue into saying, guess what? You know where she is? She's a second year law student at Howard University School of Law. It's you. And she's fired because you know what? The things I learned and the rigidness and the discipline I learned to try to stay out the game and get out the game from on the campus. She stands on my shoulder. And there's so much diversity. that, like, when I say ain't no party, like how it's not just about partying. Mm-hmm. Howard has the first, first of all, we look at it, the Howard Law School, the first black mayor of New York City, the only black mayor, David Dinkins is a Howard Law School graduate. Mm-hmm. The first black Supreme Court justice, okay? Mm-hmm. What that American was for Washington. black people was Thurgood Marshall, Brown versus Board of Education in all those cases. The head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Thurgood Marshall, a Howard Law School graduate. Um, um Letitia James, the New York State General is currently New York State General Attorney General right now. Mm-hmm. Howard law school graduate. You got these civil rights attorneys. How would law school graduate? So how would law school, I tell you, I have no regrets. And my daughter wanted to go to, she had to leave. We had a deal. She had to go to a major city, whether it was Philly, which her godmother lives in Philly, and her mother wanted to t- attend temple, Philly, Chicago, um, LA. Um she goes out, she was out in Sacramento. Is working for a white shoe law firm out there. Something I could have never, because I said, I wasn't fundamentally sound. I played I played to win. I played not to lose. But guess mm-hmm. what? Right. Now it's right. like, my daughter, I had a fundamentally sound. I sent her to private schools. I had tutors for her. I, put, I went up there last weekend out to D.C. just to put a little nitro in her mental tank. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm a warrior. I'll go in there and slice your head off. Just because I'm scrapping, she's like let's call her classically trained. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So she's fundamentally, son. I tell her you gotta sit in that chair and do the work. And not lollygag and shuck and jive. And this girl's on the move. She just made the move court team. She has a white shoe um, law firm offer for next summer again, where they paying. They start you out at two hundred and five thousand dollars a year at this firm mm-hmm. at 20, 23 years old. But my point being, she's at Howard. So when I, I don't want to be mistaken when I say Ain't no party like an H-U party. Yes, mm-hmm. she she meets up with other Blacks on different levels. I mean, like they said, the rapper, what's his name from the um, dip set? What'd he say? What's his name? He said there's different Jim levels Jones. to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Jim Jones, there's yeah. different levels to this stuff. Yeah. So I wanted to go there. Now she's hooking up with people from Atlanta, Black families from Atlanta with long money. But she mm-hmm. thinks I got a lot. I tell her my money is short. <laughs> <laughs> my money is on these cats, you know what I'm saying? They see, oh, they got generational wealth, right? So, but but long as you can get in the game, long as you got enough, you got enough fundamentals and strength to get in the game, they're going to pull you along, and that's what they did to her. And she's living her best life socially, and she's living her best life academically. She's meeting people who work for the SEC, people coming out of the Obama administration, teaching people, people coming out of the Trump administration, people coming out of administrations before that. Now she, this girl. The sky is the limit. I'm so happy. But that's just coming out of, you know, Brentwood, where I told her as a minority, you really need to leave Suffolk County, get yourself together somewhere else. And she went upstate Mm -hmm. to um, Geneseo and lived on campus. She went to SUNY Geneseo. It's like a public ivy. Geneseo, Mm -hmm. Binghamton, and Stony Brook. It's one of them public ivies. But I had to put up there in a box because two things. Number one, her nickname to me is Miss Cutie Pie. (laughs) This <laughs> Cutie party didn't know when the party ended. You know what I mean? Like, like, come here, hi, little, little mama. You know what I mean? We're going to put you in the oven. We're going to check on you every once in a while. We're going to tuck you away till you get fundamentally sound. Right. Like our colleges. You got Nassau and Suffolk. Suffolk is a great school. We have the honors program. And I found this out through non-minority people. I found this out some white guys that I, I have friends with all diversified. Like, Why are their kids going to Suffolk? Well, guess what? What we don't understand is They have about um, 400 kids in their honors program. Mm -hmm. So we have commercials. I attended Suffolk. Now I'm at Fordham. I attended Suffolk. Now I'm at Temple. I attended attended Suffolk. Now I'm at Harvard. I -hmm. attended Suffolk. Now I'm at Cornell. It's the honors program. We don't even know about that. But once you get in there, you get a, a good education. But here goes another thing. I always encourage minority students, Black and Hispanics, to go away and live on campus because it's a different type of environment, number one, number two, okay, because now you're meeting, let's see on campus, when people say, our oh, people, black people, it has studies show. We don't want to let go of our kids. We want to keep them home. Oh, this might happen on campus, and that's going to happen. People won't even go to school, don't know anything about school. They, you start to, oh, All they do is party on campus. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, on campus, on campus, the theater majors hang out together, the arts and theater, the technology majors hang out together, the athletics hang out together, and guess what? Those and the crackheads hang out together. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a crackhead, you want to smoke crack, there's a drug crew for you on campus, and guess what? Mm-hmm. You might last a year, year and a half, but you want to be out of there, but you'll find your niche on campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a niche, and you hang out, you get into that niche, you on you, the computers, you on their way. So but for us, most of our home environments, and you guys think about your home environment, it's definitely mine wasn't, they're not conducive to studying. No, no. So you serving two no. gods? you come home and you got a brother or you got your boys saying there's a party or there's these girls or they got beef with somebody. And guess what? You home with your boys. They got beef. Guess who else got beef? Well, you a punk. Mm-hmm. You got to ride with them and anything could happen through the grace and mercy of God. I st- we each of us, I'm sure you say we stand before you could have been that one incident that yep. somebody could have yep. died. It could have been that one incident where you have to do what you have to do, and but you don't have that heart. do it but you have to do it because you just gotta tighten your butt cheeks tighten your heart and learn but my point being so the environment for the young lady if you got daughters or you got sons late at night think about i said we have a gang problem so your little kid is going to suffolk let's say there's a snowstorm two or three in the morning they can't stay to five and six in the morning and drive home because a gang member may catch up with them somebody may catch up with them on the way then you come home and guess what? Your brother or your, your uncle, they fighting pit bulls. You know what I mean? In the yard. And, and you try to stay up late. Somebody's playing loud music. and your boys are saying this. When you on campus, guess what? They got security on campus. And a lot of times, unfortunately, security, the main reason in many cases, are not there to protect us. Uh-huh. But guess what? You're going to catch the backdraft. You're going to be protected. Because they teach you. <laughs> in our community, they teach you. We know that in our community... You can kill each other, but you better not step outside that community and kill nobody else Uh because now somebody's coming for you. They bring in numbers for you. Uh So with that said, your kid gets the benefit of being in a Connecticut state to three, four, five, six in the morning, seven, and nothing's going to happen to them. Because we know that if you you mess around, just think about it. Just think about it. Fordham University is in the Bronx. Uh Columbia is in Washington Heights. Hofstra is in Hempstead. Ohio State's in the hood out there we you, know you that Penn? temple you know you don't mess with none of those students at temple you don't mess with hofstra's right in said you don't mess with <laughs> your students. non-white students right. and nothing you know that because there's a message you will get hurt you will right. get so the bottom line is you bet so my daughter's on these campuses she was very safe versus her trying to drive home late at night where she can be on, on campus they got study groups you can stay with these groups when you're home now you got to drive whatever half hour hour you're losing that and number two Now you got to, sometimes you're on campus, your dorm, there might be classes right upstairs in your dorm. Now you go up the steps in between classes, it might be a three or four hour break. Instead of putting your head on the desk and trying to rest for three or four hours and stay awake, guess what? You go right downstairs to the dorm and sleep about three hours, right, (laughs) two and a half hours and pop back upstairs. So you save all that time by living on campus. But here goes the key to campus. If you don't get a full academic scholarship or you don't get a full athletic scholarship, I strongly, highly suggest, not only for those safety reasons, that you go to a state school because all the private schools like me, I went to LIU in Southampton, Hofstra, um, you get a Delphi, you get CW Post, um, whatever, you name it. Nobody cares that you went to these private schools but you. Why? Because you have the school loans approved. I'm over 220000 in debt because of compound interest because there was a lot of reasons why I couldn't get a job. Coming out, just trying. I sold me this dream, go to school, and everything like that. But then you try to get a job. There's a lot of racism, nepotism, and cronyism. Mm -hmm. Now you can't get a job. Now this country. Now you have a choice: should I pay my student loans or do I eat? (laughs) Or do I pay my student loans or do I pay my rent? Mm -hmm. And we're 1.7 trillion dollars in student loan debt in this country. Now it's a crisis. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I was a pioneer on defaulting on loans, not because I was a bad person, but I couldn't get a job. pay off these loans then you have these deferment programs like right now biden he gave forgave but with 1.7 trillion Mm -hmm. right now he gave about 53 billion dollars um in student loan debt but that's for the non-profit organizations i mean the Mm -hmm. for-profit organizations for-profit schools that people allegedly got ripped off at which Mm -hmm. i you know i'm not gonna as a judge i'm not gonna comment i mean now you read between the lines or like military veterans, but guess what? For people like myself, or other people who went to school, couldn't get jobs. And you, with other school, they said at the rate he's going now, when if he re, if he left office, at the rate he's going now, at that 1.7 trillion, he only forgave like four or five percent, mm. four or five percent, and that that can help once you get rid of a lot of that can help the economy, pump up the economy. But so my point being, like my daughter, I practice what I preach she went to a SUNY school, $22,000 a year, $25,000. So you can pay the whole thing. was able to pay the whole thing where she can come out with no school loans, where versus you go to a private school and you think you, the kid doesn't know a lot because they haven't been guided a lot. So now you're coming out with some kids want to go to the basketball. So like St. Joseph's here in Suffolk. I'm um, St. Joseph's college private. They want to play D3 ball. Well, guess what? You last a year and a half. Then you don't have the money <laughs> to go the rest of the way. Now mm. you on your way out and it's, And for us, for minorities or blacks, it's two steps forward and one step back. And that one step back, guess what? A little girl may get pregnant. What was one step back? A bunch of black kids might be in a car. So, reality stop for driving while black. Now, there's presumption of possession for whatever's in that car. They get all charged with it. Now, you got a felony or you got a record or you're in court all year. One step back? You're in the 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 system
0: and you're spending your money that should be going towards next year's tuition is going to the lawyer. Exactly.
2: What you can't pay the rent. One step back, Mm. your parent can't. I don't say the mortgage because you can't assume that the rent. Now you can't get back into school. It's so hard once you're out of the game Mm. to get back in school. So I always encourage our people if you don't get a full ride, go to a SUNY school like I did with my daughter. Then when you go to graduate school, like now she's at Howard and she can take out, she got some scholarship money, but she can take out loans. Now you're not gonna have a mortgage attached to you.
0: Right. Mm. Right. I I send my daughter to private school, but It was, we sent her to private high school. And then, based on the recommendations they made, you know, they had the academic counselor who recommends, well, you know, these are the schools where we think your child fits. And unfortunately, fortunately, however you look at it, she profiled for these small private liberal arts schools uh, because that's just her personality. But my my mom got all kinds of smoke from her dad because she let my mom, you know, when I was making the decision where I was going to go. We knew nothing. So my mom just left it up to me. I don't even think she ever asked me, like, even where I was applying. Uh huh. Yeah. But then when I finally, you know, I'm going to Temple, I'm moving, her dad gave her all kinds of shit. Cause, like, why don't you send that boy to public? He should have gone to someplace in New York State and we could have afforded that. Like, two years, at, one year at Temple was almost three years at one of the SUNY schools back then. Uh huh. I mean, that's what the difference was in state versus out of state. But once again, we didn't know and there was nobody to tell us. Give us that type of scouting report. So, I mean, I was paying back college loans and I didn't even graduate. I was paying back college loans until I was 41. Because, you know, like everybody else, I got out. My My first job in radio was paying $750 an hour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's do I want to pay? Do I want to eat? Do I want to pay my rent? Uh, do I want to buy my bus pass so I can get back and forth to work yeah. or do I want to pay my student loan? So then you get into, you get into forbearance situations, which you think is a gift, except the interest is still compounding. 100, and that, 100. that's the bullet that they don't, nobody really explains to you. Yep. I mean, I'm, I am full on about the fact that everybody, no matter what they do, should get financial education, financial literacy education. It should be part of high school. And the fact that it isn't, is kind of criminal because yep. that's how the, that's how the game is really played. That's how they keep us in the dark. Right, you know, and and get involved in some of these financial vehicles that we really have no no business being in. Well, one hundred percent.
1: My experience was a little bit different going to Howard. Um, at that point in time, my father my father was a, he owned his own truck. He was a tractor trailer driver. He owned his own truck, so we were used to having money. And at that time, HBCU was affordable. My rent and tuition total for the year was somewhere around six thousand, seven thousand dollars for Howard University it's probably like four or five times that right now um so you know my i didn't even have any student loans my first two years then you wow, know we had great. a little bit of a yeah then we had a then we had a little bit of a you know we had a little bit of crisis at home and um i had to basically leave at that point in time because it was more of a responsibility thing and there was no one really to take care of my mother when she got sick, so I did leave at that point. So I don't, I don't have those stories. The worst story I really have is I get letters from Howard University. I owe them like a thousand dollars or something like that. So, I, but I can't imagine what it would be like. And you know, part of my experience though, what you said about Rob, you know, about your mom not knowing where you were, char- where you were going to. My parents, my my issues with my tuition were off, often came from the fact that. My parents didn't have any idea as to how to plan to make my payments. So mm-hmm. I would have deferred payments. I'd have, say, 2,000 due at this point, 2,000 due at that point, 1,000 due at that point. I know how much money my father made. He would bring home like a lot of money, but it would still get, the financial literacy was still lacking. My father had a mortgage removed into a house, and at that point in time when you buy that house, I always say that they paid a higher rate then not only did we have a did we have a decent house, but I'm sure my parents probably paid about a third more than everyone else that was on that block for that experience. The black tax, the black tax, and that's exactly what it is. It's a black tax, and um,
0: I would you know, have gone so- to Howard. It would have been I would have saved some money and gone to Howard. Except my friend John went there the year before me, mm. and after visiting and seeing what was going on there, I could not imagine with my uh, with my extreme thirst. That I was going to get through Howard. Uh, oh my God! I know what I mean, you're saying. I mean, uh, yo, between you know, they they serve beer in the punch out every day. You can buy yes, you sir. can um, pitchers of Low and Brow at the student center. Yes, sir. And all those honeys. Pff, that yes, was sir. a recipe for disaster. Yes,
2: sir. Yes, yeah. Sir. Well, you know what? I, I I because of my uncles, some of them a couple of them shot needles and drugs and stuff, and and um, you know, and the crime. It wasn't my drugs, I'll tell you. I mean, I was a super athlete. I run. Drugs wasn't my thing. And I had my first drink to my, because I seen it. I grew up in the game, heavy, the, the alcohol. But let me tell you, beautiful woman, that my Achilles heel. You know what oh. <laughs> said, My Achilles heel. When I went down to HU, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't have, you know what I mean? Like, nothing to say. Listen, I have a lot of respect for women. I was raised by women, but those women were so gorgeous down there. Mm. Um, that's, That would have been my, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, mm. we all got our, I, listen, I never <laughs> judge nobody else because we all certainly know we all got our own cross to bear, our own weaknesses. But when I went down there, it wouldn't have been my country bumping self, it wouldn't have been a good look because I would have <laughs> tried to rap to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, Looking like yeah. a dog chasing buses or something like that. I have to so say, I just,
1: even when, going for finals my freshman year, I saw beautiful women I had never seen on campus before. Because the cause the schedule's different and it's staggered for your finals, and it was just like damn. But the thing about Howard that made it great though is like they weren't just beautiful women; they were intelligent women, so they could what actually have a say? conversation with them. So it's like after probably the first week, that whole allure of all the women kind of like it kind of like wears off, and then it's just like oh, that's that's like you know Beth, or that's like you know Anne, or that's like you know whoever. Because they're because you actually learn a better you well, at least I did I learned more respect from women at Harvard University because it was different than the girls that I would meet here on Long Island you know coming out coming out like after the basketball games after you've won and you walk up in the stands you say hello honey how you doing and they go <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah you know this I'm like, yeah. you know that's the sentence. You're right. There were definitely there were legacies at Howard legacies of intelligent, beautiful women. They yes. were intelligent and they were beautiful and substantive. There was a lot of legacies. Um, yeah. So that that was that's the, you're right. It's a great thing it's about a- um, HBCU. And in fact, a lot of kids like my daughter made a conscious choice. Do you know that? Um, I don't know if you two know this, but there's a book written by um, this guy writes for the. Um, I think he writes for the Washington Post, Eugene Robinson. You know Eugene Robinson. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. I loved Eugene Robinson, but he wrote a book. And they say, why, you know, the the thing is, why don't black people, people always say, why don't black people stick together? Okay? Number one, I never, personally, me, I never jump on the bandwagon of black people don't stick together because you think about it. We've been under the the American black man has been, and a woman, We have been under the microscope. I mean, not the microscope. The um, what do you call it? Magnifying glass.
1: Magnifying glass. With
2: the sun beating on us for 400 years, Mm -hmm. but yet still, you got three brothers right here talking. You know what I mean? Three intelligent brothers right here talking that had to learn from trial experience, we're still standing. That's and right. we stick together. Me and X stick together. Me and X got boys that stick together. X sticks with you, Mr. Brooks. Now I met you. So people say they want to always use that, oh, you know, the crabs in the barrel. You know, People always like to get down or, or say, you know, um, when they go to college, it's all they do is party. People never went to college. So you really have to shoot these people down and let them know, no, we know not. I'm, I like to have fun, but I'm not a shucker and man. I ain't nobody's joke. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. So, um, so with that said, Eugene Robinson wrote this book when they say, Why don't all blacks sit together? Well, guess what? In his book, he broke it down. And you should, I mean, it's a must-read. It's, it's he broke it down. He says, Listen, he broke down as four different classes of black categories of black people. You got the transparent blacks like Valerie Jarrett, and it starts out with the head um. Bill Parsons, who was ahead of time on AOL, mm-hmm. you know, he's having a big party, but it sounds like a group of white folks having this party at this mansion down in Maryland somewhere, Virginia. Right. right. But it, it, when he starts the story off, but really it's Oprah Winfrey and them are coming there and, and all these, these, um Valerie Jarrett, these who introduced in her father, I think he was the first head of the um, rail system down in DC somewhere or, or Chicago. So Valerie Jarrett, all of them are going to this party. So he says, they're the transparent Blacks. The only people they speak to is God. <laughs> 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 then the next group of Blacks you have, the next group of Black is interesting. You got the middle class Blacks like us. You have the middle class Blacks like us. Then, get this, you got a third level of Blacks, okay? You got the highest transparent. You got the middle class Blacks, okay? We all have different interests and different upbringings and different cultures because you can't, it's hard to get, so then you got the third class of Black, get this, the Africans and Caribbeans. So that's a whole different culture and a whole different, you know what I mean? So that, and then you got the last class of blacks. <laughs> they're so low on the socioeconomic rung <laughs> that, that they, you know what I'm saying? Like you, right. we know that the la- they're so low on the rung that they really don't have a chance of getting out. So what happens is, but everybody looks up to the group ahead of them and everybody looks up to the transparent for one reason or the other, the intelligence, the bling bling, the this or that. The African-Americans or the middle-class Blacks that are there, they look up to them because you see hard work and all that stuff gets us that way. The African and Caribbeans, in the lower, the socioeconomic class, lowest class, they look up to them for the bling-bling, you know what I mean? Because they got all these material things. Mm-hmm. So Eugene Robinson, but another profound thing he said, so you can't put these groups together and expect everybody, just because you're Black, that don't mean you're Black. That don't right. mean you got things in common. Right. Then he, one of the other things, I'll leave you with this that's profound about it, That I was going to, he says, now think about this. Now, this book was written about six years ago. Half or more than half of the Black students at Ivy League schools are sons and daughters of African immigrants. Mm. And those African immigrants, get this, that came over had more elite degrees than any other immigrant group. That ever came to America, including the European, the Asians, all of them. Mm-hmm. So they had elite degrees coming over. So my point being, when you have these affirmative action programs at these schools, affirmative action, a lot of times and you don't want to know, I don't want to divide it, but they were cut out for American blacks. Mm-hmm. But if these kids are coming from like everything is pedigree, whether you play basketball like Cole Bryant or, or the um, um, what's his name, Thompson from or Steph Curry, they have pedigree. They've seen it, they grew up in the game, mm-hmm. okay? Pedigree puts Kyrie Irving, people, pedigree puts you ahead and you got to make up for that ground somehow and you got to really work hard and network hard and everything because when people grow up in any kind of game, like Michael Jackson, he could have been the biggest whatever weird guy, but guess what? He knew how to get in that studio and make music because that was Mm -hmm. his pedigree. Or or you look at the Mayweather, he can make a lot of money. You ever see his father fight? Mm -hmm. That's pedigree. My point being, so when you apply to these schools, when black students here apply to these schools, and they have a certain amount of seats. They have a certain amount of seats open, quotas open. Mm-hmm. And before I say quotas, I want to put it this way. All these schools ask for legacies. Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Michigan, Howard. And the real thing is, if you have one parent that... So I want to wipe the racial thing out of it, just so think that quotas and yeses because we're weak. Right. If you have one parent that in these schools discriminate the Ivy Leagues, if you have one parent that went to Harvard you have a 20% more likelihood of getting into their school. If you had two parents that went there, you have a 40% more likelihood to get in. So an average kid who thinks that they're going to just apply and get in, there's all kinds of games set up to get into all these schools. Uh-huh. So with that said, with the half or more than half, nobody can represent your interest like you can. Like I can't go over to Jamaica, Haiti. I can't go over to as any country in Africa and say, well, I'm going to represent the black people. Their interest. So there's people from other cultures and countries that cannot come over here and represent our interest. Mm. You're not shutting them out, but they can't represent your interest like you could. So what I say is, when they have these affirmative action programs at these schools, and, and that person has a professional parent, doctors, or whatever. In fact, there was a kid from William Floyd, a black kid, about five years ago. He got accepted to all what, seven or eight Ivy League schools. And there was one and two in Elmont. But guess what they didn't say? <laughs> at least two of them, their parents were African. So now you took an mm-hmm. implant, you put them in a the community, he played football and stuff, but his parents, one was a doctor or a nurse in Africa, a, a doctor there, but they're a nurse here. Mm-hmm. Now you're dealing with somebody who's academically trained, mm-hmm. taking the LSAT to the ACT versus somebody who, I mean, you get Americanized, things start slipping off because we have all the luxuries. Now they apply to the University of Chicago, Northwestern or Northeastern, or they apply to Harvard or Yale They get a lower ACT score or such and such score. And guess what? Your kid is out. That kid is in. Okay. So then they got the competing thing. So now who's going to represent at these top schools? Back then, I would say top schools, because now the black kids are saying, you know what? With all the stuff going on today, you know what? Like my daughter said, I'm not even applying to Ivy League school. I want to go where I'm accepted, Mm where they're going to take care of my whole person, where they're competent. They got all this stuff. My, she she didn't want to them. She wanted to go there. She's totally 100% comfortable. I'm 100% comfortable about I'm going there. But my point being, the equal chance, and I was going to write the University of Chicago, but she said, Daddy, don't. Because she says, you bully everybody. And yes, I do bully everybody. <laughs> I just bully people. That's what I do. That's just what I do, baby. <laughs> because, because some people don't want to hear. Mr. Brooks, you know that some people, no matter how much you write logically, no matter what you write logically, people will create a fat gap insert convenient insert their own facts, create their own narrative and go with that. Mm-hmm. You can have all, because I don't want numbers. I want to fight sometimes. I just want to fight because that's <laughs> the only way you can get things across. So my point being, if you wanted the option to get your kid into these schools, so I was going to write Chicago a letter and say, listen, you have to have somebody there that understands that there are American blacks being deprived of opportunities. And then these same blacks are going to come back like, I never left Brentwood. I decided to stay in my community and help my people. But if there's no Alonzo or there's no Exum, okay, John Exum in our community, or if there's no Robert Brooks over in Pennsylvania, is there a gap? Who's going to represent your story, your narrative? Who's going to mm-hmm. represent that? hmm
1: That's the truth. And you know what, Alonzo? Man, that hour flew by. You were probably the easiest interview I've ever had here. Because like you just say one thing and then just like you just go off. It's like all of our conversations, and you covered so much during the show, and you really got to the breadth of what I wanted to get to, which is like to show people that there are different ways that these kids have to come up. What we're facing, what we're facing right now, and your struggle and your greatness as a man. So I have to give you a round of applause, bro.
2: You know. Well, thank you. I appreciate you, brother. It's a real honor to be here.
1: There is one other question I wanted to ask you, though. I know I promised you I wouldn't ask you any legal opinions and everything, but I have to ask you. R. Kelly, not guilty or guilty?
2: <laughs> wow. You know what? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I you know, I, I, I can't. You know what? Here goes the thing is. I have certainly haven't been following the case. I loved R. Kelly's music. I thought he was a musical genius. However, everybody, one, one thing we got to be clear about, okay? No matter how we feel, everybody should have the presumption of innocence, okay? Okay. Because once you, you know, we can we can trump up a case against anybody or we can, it's funny to use the word Trump, or we can use the words to, to go <laughs> take them away from somebody or, or be in support. But once that, as you know, Mr. Brooks, you know this well, you, you can't argue with somebody who buys the ink by the barrel. Because once that storm comes and everybody says, hey, so-and-so is not the man no more, or, the, or such-and-such is not the woman anymore, once that firestorm, you start arguing with the media... One Only one person I knew that can argue with the media pretty effectively, man. is that last president. I don't know how he did it, but he was able to <laughs> battle everybody like i nobody ever did nobody ever battled
0: like that I, with so the, many um he he was so relentless in his point of view like he the facts be damned like he mm-hmm. if if he thought it, he said it and he was just going to repeat it until you either believed it or you stopped asking him. And really, he just wore people down. Yeah, people he's like, yo, we're not going to ask him about that stuff anymore because we know he's going to lie, so we're just going to move past it.
1: People believe there's nothing to admire about Donald Trump, but I definitely disagree. I've given him, I've given him credit for that exact same thing on many occasions because, you know, you got to be a certain type of, like, personality to just be like, no matter what, I'm, I'm just running through. He's
2: just running through. He don't care. He don't care. You know what? You know what, I, X, I agree with you 100%. You know what? I'm not going to say whether I support him or not support him because I can't take a political view as a judge or whatever, mm-hmm. but I can say he did have some admirable traits. You know what I mean? Yes. Like you said, you got it. this cat was – this 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 cat, like he was the only guy that I knew that can actually – be battling with them for like turn on anybody like <laughs> you can turn on Fox Five just turn on them you know what I'm saying like just, <laughs> that's
0: gangster you know what I mean that's you can to respect just gangster Yes. like and his whole his whole way of doing business you know where he basically you know he does and I'm not saying it's right I'm just saying the fact that he carries himself like this I mean oh he does business he does a contract whatever you do the job. Now he comes back afterwards and nitpicks the crap out of it and dares you. He's just like, look, I'm going to pay you 35. I don't really like the job you did. I'm going to give you 35% of what I was supposed to pay you. You don't like it? Take me to court. Mm-hmm. And he uses the courts like mm-hmm. they're his personal bot, like they're his personal sentries. Mm, yes, like, he, did. He, he, law- he lawyers up and, hey, if you got enough money and you want to see this all the way through, God bless you.
2: Like you said. And, it, and, yeah, and, so and it's he's not he's right
0: a- and it's not moral, but you got to – Respect somebody who is dug in and gonna fight like that.
2: Well, you know what his legacy is—real legacy. Um, you know what his real legacy is. January sixth. <laughs> no, well, no, well, you know what—that might be a lot of smoke and mirrors. What, what? I'm not. I can't call it on that. Mm-hmm. that. But his real yeah. legacy is—it's like a boxing match. You see a guy. You see a guy like I guess uh, I would say that remember the Julio Cesar Chavez on mm-hmm. uh, Meldrick Taylor fight. Mm-hmm. Chavez was a body puncher man. Mm-hmm. magic teller was looking good punching in the head and all that other stuff but after that fight and that magic is a philly guy you know what at a philly stable with pernell mm-hmm. whitaker and all those guys and i like them philly fighters they i call them flash fighters because what happens they'll have a short career but boy those guys get in the ring and they just go to war they just try to pound each other out you know I mean? yep. they no dancing they no. it's like you're gonna get a fight with those philly cats
0: there ain't no beauty in this we gotta sit yeah. here man we gotta try to crack some jaws mm-hmm.
2: exactly but with that magic teller julius Chavez fight what happens is Chavez was so accurate, his body punches, that after that fight, I mean, he knocked, he knocked Taylor out with about 12 seconds ago in the fight, I believe. But after that fight, Taylor had to go to the hospital. He swallowed 14 ounces of his own blood. Mm. He was never the same after that fight. What I'm saying with Donald Trump, you've seen all that smoke and mirrors. Yes, we've seen January 6th, but he put a third of the federal judiciary on the bench, yeah. okay, and, and he put a third of the U.S. Supreme Court on the bench. So for years to come, could be thirty years to come, it's going to have which I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other, but it's going to have a right slant.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's, that's you know a that's, right that's slant that, for that, the that next is thirty years. That's a gift from Uncle Mitch McConnell. That's the gift that keeps on giving. That guy who is so unremarkable in so many ways, but was playing the long game on that one. Like that's Mitch just, McConnell, a, Mitch McConnell obstructed the Obama administration for eight years in that regard, and he just he just kept. He kept treading water until he got his until he got somebody in there until he got a friendly face. See,
1: we can have another we can have another conversation for another hour about different topics, but we're gonna have to. I'm gonna cut it short right now. I'm gonna cut it right now.
2: And thank well, you. I just have to. I just have to ask you one comment, X. Sure. I always have to. I always have to when people make statements like Mr. Brooks, brother. I agree with you or not agree. I have to mm. say a disclaimer. I don't. I can't get in on that one because I'm a judge. Uh, People are always coming for me. I just, I, I,
0: absolutely, so, I understand, I understand you. to your own that, opinion, yeah.
2: and yeah. I'm not saying I disagree with you, but somebody will try to attach me to that. Oh yeah, try I, to, you know, your whole no. life changed. So yeah, that was that's said. completely
0: the thought and the thoughts of Robert Brooks, and in no way reflects what <laughs> <laughs> what, judge, <laughs> what the judge is thinking judge or, is or, or feeling. Today. That's, right. <laughs> that's just that's just me, you know, commenting on on that. See what piece happened of history. When you history.
2: See what happens? You get editors the edited
0: mainstream and they mock you out there and roll you out there. They take all the, they take all the, um, yeah. Well, well, you know what? That's a whole, that's a whole other conversation for a different day. Like one of the things that I had had on the list of things that I could ask you about was as you are moving up the ladder and you are getting d- different levels of success and how you, you know, cause the first thing brothers, you know, first thing, somebody, the, 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 the cats who are down below you want to say is, are oh, you selling now? You know, or you're not I do oh, you're doing this, you're letting them do this to you. And there's a certain level of there's some acquiescing that has to go on, you know, you have to to go along and get along to some degree, and where you decide to to draw your battles and stuff. Like that's a whole other conversation that I'd love to have you on a different day. Like we we drag you back and talk about okay, some of those certainly. battles. Um, and you know, some I of the places where 100%. yeah, oh, you can't, you know, you can't be militant a hundred percent of the time and yeah. and eventually get to be a judge. Right. (laughs) You go. You.
2: Well, you know what? Al Shopton had to say sorry to a lot of people in order to get his own ready TV show. Mm -hmm. Remember
1: that? Yeah. 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 Just it's just it is what it is. But yeah, Alonzo, man, we we got to have you back, bro. We have to have you back because we didn't get to cover. We got a whole bunch of questions. This it was like one of our conversations where I might call you to ask you like, what's a what's like on the menu today at, at the restaurant and everything. And before I even get to answer the question, two hours have passed and we've been chopping it up. So well, this, that's how this interview went today. You know, well, but it's all say, good.
2: I want to say this about you, X. I want to say this about you, my boy, James Purvis, who was a seven-time All-American and went to Georgia Tech in the hurdles. You, I appreciate you because you always speak your mind. You don't care. You know, I got to do a little bit of dancing around issues all the time and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, but you you was a guy that always came like you. There's a there's a niche for you. It's not mainstream because nobody wants to hear the full truth. You're Mm going to give it to them. You're not going to front. You're not going to sugarcoat anything. Mm -hmm. And you're going to talk intelligently. You and Purvis, I respect you, Catch where where you'll have you'll have a. You'll have, you'll certainly have a, uh, you'll have a, just like um, what's his name? He's number one on Fox Five. He's the number one conservative. What's his name? Tucker Carlson. Oh, okay, yeah. You'll have, you'll have, you'll have your, you'll have you because you speak, you speak your mind, you speak the truth. You're well read. You're intelligent. You come straight forward. Me, unfortunately, I, you know what I mean. I'm. sometime yeah. Sometimes when it's time to go, really go to war. When it's time to go to war, I go to war. But at the same time, when you're doing a um. I, I'm just trying to. Try, I'm no, just I, trying to.
0: You got to pick. You you have to pick your battles in a way that John doesn't. Like John can go. John can go to put the pedal to the metal anytime he wants. Where you have to. You have to pick your battles. Like I. Exactly. I, I, work, I work with a lot of folks who. You know I can. You know they they what they what they now call a um a um, what what do they call the the, the small racial slights? What do they call them now? Many um, aggressions a, mi- The microaggressions. micro-aggressions yeah. yeah. So you know I work with some dudes. You know they're sprinkling microaggressions around like it's fucking salt. You know, like some like the food needs season. They sprinkling it around. Now, am I going to fight every single one of these microaggressions? Like, am I going to am I am I really going to teach them anything? Am I going to change anything like some of these microaggressions? All right. You know what? That's a battle for a different day. That guy's really not in my lane. Mm -hmm. So now I can jump into his lane and straighten him out about that. But now. I'm creating a whole other issue. I'm creating a fire here. Now I'm going to bring these p- other people into my lane. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you and you probably have to make those political calculations as well.
2: Well, it's a no brainer with yourself. You know why? And you, me or John, you know why? Cause if you fight every quote unquote, whatever they call it. Say, migrate, you'll be punch drunk. Mm-hmm. You'll be punch drunk from swinging mm-hmm. at everybody. You know what I'm saying? Then another one will come along right? <laughs> yes. until such time that you fall out from being tired from throwing blows. So you, yeah, you got to, pick and choose because you'll be punch drunk like man i gotta fight this person over this really it's a non-issue they know it's a non-issue they created a narrative Mm -hmm. let me leave this alone because they're not worthy of my response right see for me for me it's like
1: it's it's a trade-off you know um it's definitely true i do say a lot of like things that people would consider to be reckless but they're all well thought out and um but the the trade-off is that, like, you know, there are certain things. This is the reason why I make my living the way that I make my living. You know, if you if you don't have the money and you don't want to do X, Y, or Z, you have a problem with my personality personally, then you just won't make the money and everything. And I was in those situations. I've been in those situations where I've had to, where I should have shut my mouth. You know, I might have, I should, maybe I should have been, like, less straightforward but it's a,
2: I just can't do that.
1: Well,
2: I just can't well, you know, do that. So, well, the thing is, X. First of all, let's clear. Let's clarify something. I never said you were reckless. Okay, you were never <laughs> reckless. That's number one. Okay, I never. You know, you I said yeah. it's intelligent. It's logically based. Okay, it's well thought out. Okay, you, you got to respect a the person that that does their due diligence. You know what I mean? Their research, whether you agree or don't agree, is well intelligent. And number two. If you would have, like you said I should have, maybe shut my mouth, guess what? I wouldn't be on your show right now, brother.
1: Uh, I'm on
2: your show because you are who you are, and I respect you.
1: I appreciate that. And we're going to end it on that note, on that note. Born in Trouble Tuesday Talks. Hopefully y'all will enjoy this. The Honorable Judge Alonzo G. Jacobs. Give him a round of applause. Yes, sir. Thank you, thank you. And, of course, my buddy. My ace, boom, Mr. Robert Brooks from Philadelphia.
0: Holler. Glad to make your acquaintance, Judge Jacobs. Likewise, when you
2: up in New York or whatever, I come down there. We definitely got to get together.
0: Yeah, man. tell you, you know, if you Temple University, man, that was my stomping ground for a little while. Yes, sir. What boy. was that? Temple University oh, was my stomping ground for a little while. <laughs> let me just
1: let me just get rid of this born in trouble Tuesday talks. Peace, peace, peace. Whether it's a four-course sit-down dinner or a line starts in the kitchen buffet, there's one thing you'll find at the center of it all. Swift Meats. Fresh, tender roast beef, succulent pork chops, mouth-watering steaks. For more than 160 years, Swift pork and beef delivers the flavor that brings everyone to the table. Discover new meal ideas at swiftmeats.com.